You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals as we help to positively disrupt healthcare. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a thought as we aspire to act as the bridge to ignite these courageous conversations, both through our insight platform and through these fireside chats. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. Managing Director and Co-Owner of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one virtual collaboration solution for online meetings, events, and advisory boards. Hi, everybody. My name is Natalie Yeadon, and I'm one of the co-founders and CEOs with Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we believe that all great ideas start with a conversation. And really what we do at Impetus is that if we build a a number of really cutting edge synchronous and asynchronous virtual collaboration and communication tools, we use these for everything from digital advisory boards, co-author working groups, medical education. We've also just launched a product called Insight Events for large corporate meetings. But as I was mentioning, we really believe that everything important in life starts with a conversation. And our online collaboration platform is the perfect place, not only to start these conversations, but to also continuously build on the ideas and insights generated over time and creating authentic and real partnerships and relationships with the participants who are involved in the process. Having these big, hairy, audacious conversations is how we actually get to start to build and implement change and positively disrupt healthcare. So with all of that said, the idea behind this webinar series is that we wanna start the conversation around some of these big or controversial ideas and to discuss the opportunities and issues that the healthcare industry is facing today, along with how technology can help. So I'm really excited to have one of these provocateurs and these thinkers, leading edge thinkers in the pharmaceutical industry. This is actually Miriam Prescott. Miriam is the head of ethics, risks and compliance at Novartis Canada for the Oncology Division. She has a proven track record of supporting and advising CEOs and other executive leaders to drive positive reputation and ethical behaviors and of building trust among the organization, employees, Canadian patients, patient organizations, customers, and all sorts of other stakeholders in the pharmaceutical industry. Miriam has over 14 years of legal practice experience as a lawyer, And she's also been a legal advisor for corporations and individuals with 14 years of experience working in the pharmaceutical industry as a sales director in both specialty and primary care business, as well as six years in leadership roles in integrity, compliance, and risk management. Welcome, Miriam. So happy to have you on the show today. Yeah, good morning. Hi, everyone. Miriam, um, very, uh, very interesting background and the fact that you even did some work as a sales director. You don't oftentimes see a lawyer doing that. And so very interesting. So tell us a little bit about the very interesting trajectory that you've had in your career and how you ended up being, you know, a compliance officer at Novartis. So maybe at the beginning, what I would like to to mention is that, you know, this presentation is really based on my personal experience and my personal opinion and does not represent Novartis position uh, in any ways. Uh, So, I mean, yes, I have a 
particular profile and experience background. And I think, uh, you know, for me, uh, having practicing law, uh, especially in the civil law domain, representing different corporation, I went to a point where, you know, I needed new challenges. And, you know, the law, uh, when you practice injustice, it's really like straightforward, it's black and white. And for me, it was time to, you know, get new challenges because I really like this part of uh, being in a business, uh, working with corporation. And this is where, you know, sometimes lives bring you uh, opportunities. So I had the, uh, the chance to work with people who had really great, you know, experience in pharma. And I joined the team as a, uh, you know, I started to uh, really wanted to learn more about the environment because I worked a lot with big clinics uh, with big pharmacy group. At that time, back in, the, let's say, 2000, there were the time where we were building this big, these big pharmacy banners, we're looking for big spaces, and they were, you know, moving into a big change. So, I, and I work as a lawyer, had many contacts, and this is where I got in this, wow, this is like really, uh, you know, dynamic, innovative, like business mindset. So I decided to jump in and I really appreciate all the experience, you know, managing sales team, have this completely new vision of uh, practicing law at some point, but also, you know, being a sales manager, performance driven, that was really like my goal. Really interesting, Miriam. And like I said, I don't think a lot of people in the legal counsel space have ever had that opportunity of really applying, I guess, if you will, law in a very practical, functional business scenario. So I'm really curious about navigating for you. What were some of the biggest challenges and uh, trying to pull that together um, did you find that you, your approach was very different than the typical sales director? Yes, absolutely. So I would say the main challenge for me was, uh, you know, being really proactive, meaning, you know, you have to go out, you have to meet with customer, with institutions. And you have to bring your team to that different vision. And for me, it was very different from a lawyer job where you get this, uh, you know, you get it known, you have your own experience background and customer, they come to you for your expertise. And that was very different for me that, you know, we had to go out and reach out and to build partnerships. So really being proactive in reaching the customer, making sure we were identifying needs. So you need Needed to really understand the healthcare system. And this is where my approach as a lawyer really brought this very different dimension from a sales director perspective. So for me, you know, being a lawyer, you have to know um, everything that is uh, regulation, law, how does it work, the system. So you navigate through this. So it's more easy for me as a sales director to make sure that my team really understood how the system is working, you know, from a healthcare perspective. So then you really can partner with a hospital institution and really create a value in the field versus the old vision of being like calling on doctors specifically, like very marketing mindset or sales mindset. So it brings a different perspective. 
I really love that, Miriam, because in some ways, you know, again, many of us have actually been in the pharmaceutical industry, many of us have been in sales, is there's often a disconnect or, uh, you know, a bit of a, a, a firewall, if you will, between you know, the fear, if you will, between sales and marketing and the traditionalist, you know, compliance departments, legal departments, almost looking at, oh, here they come again. They're going to put us in a black box. I can't do what I want to do. But the way you framed it is that you saw your legal background as being a core competitive differentiator because you were able to redevelop and re-synthesize a new model and giving your teams the flexibility and the wherewithal to know how to navigate the system. So can you expand or give an example of, of how that worked? Well, I, I mean, it's, for example, when we were implementing some, you know, some program or strategy from a, you know, pharmaceutical perspective, um, you know, I was bringing a different model of interacting or engaging with customer. Uh, and, and one thing that I always, you know, I was driving the team through was always to bring value, real value, you know, it's beyond the product. It is something, it's not only about what you know on your product, but it's all about what you know about your customer, the environment. And at the end, it's the patient that has to benefit from it. So it's a different perspective than being focused on prescription, on performance driven by the number of market share. You know, you, you put that aside and you build trust. So it's an overall process. It's a long-term run. And I think you bring that confidence in people that work in sales and marketing that, you know, you have to go beyond the pill. You have to make sure that you really understand the environment in which you are working, but also you have to respect the integrity of your customer, meaning that we are evolving in the healthcare system, healthcare professional they have their own code of ethics. They have their deontology code. And you have to make sure that you know about these rules. So you set the basis for people to be able to work in that framework in respect of integrity of each other. And that brings a lot of credibility in what you do. You become not only like a pharmaceutical representative of a specific pipeline, but you also be there to you position yourself as a credible partner for the future. You work in synergy with the system and not trying to impose a specific way of um, treating patients. So you go beyond this and then, you know, business will come. This is how you really have. And, and there's many examples where, you know, we had really interesting, innovative uh, project uh, that was not necessarily product focused, that was really uh, completely different. But when you create this strong partnership based on transparency, open discussion, really reach out real objective and you know, your, you know where you can play, this is important and where your customer can also play. So then it makes a perfect game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something to be said. I'm just curious about how you see this. 
because a lot of people who are in the business integrity, the risk or the compliance department or legal departments of these big pharmaceutical companies don't normally have day-to-day integrated experience working with the business, the commercial side, and you did. How did you find that impacted the way you run the, the ethics, you know, compliance department in your company? How has that impacted the thinking, the planning, and the way the company does business? Well, I think for me, I was really, uh, because my evolution through sales and marketing and then being uh, uh, more in the integrity and compliance world, it has been a transition. And it, what you know what is really interesting is that my team, because I've been with the same company at that time as a sales director for many, many years, and then in the same company, I move into a position of a head and integrity and compliance. So I, I was transitioning in a leadership role. And it was so interesting, the reaction, because, you know, for after 10, 11 years, everyone know me in the company, you know, as a sales director being involved in everything. But I was also building and, and, and really um, involved in, all, in building the compliance mindset around in the company. So for people, the reaction was so interesting because everyone was like, this is natural. There were no shock in terms of, oh my God, this sales director becomes, because you could have seen these as a dual reaction. Oh, that person won't respect necessarily the real compliance, you know, mindset being a sales director but with the legal background with the pharma experience and sales I was bringing like oh wow this is a positive change you could see that we want to move from this rule-based mindset of different culture mindset so by doing this the company was giving a very positive message to people this is possible to bring both together to make sure that at the end of the day, we're serving the customer and we're doing the right thing, you know? So that was very positive. And I think it also gives people that extra level of confidence because the one thing that really throws off productivity and imagination and creativity is fear. And fear comes from, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing and what's legal going to say and what's compliance going to say. But when you're kind of rounding out the edges on on the corners, and making it a much smoother ride for everybody. You give people that that level of confidence, which is interesting. So we would be remiss if we did not have a conversation, obviously, about one of the biggest things that has ever happened in our generation, which is the COVID-19 pandemic, which started this time last year. And the huge ramifications and ripple effects that have come as a result. One of the things I wanted to find out from you is uh, obviously, one of the core areas that suffered as an immediate impact is just starting to get back on its feet, but in a different way are clinical trials, research and development. And so one of the things that we want to find out is, in your opinion, what has, you know, from a risk and compliance and, and what have you, have you seen with these new decentralized trials, companies pushing towards patients, patient reported outcomes using wearables and technologies to be able to impact and be directly related to these clinical studies. What have you seen and noticed some of the watchouts and some of the opportunities here? 
So, I mean, this is a big, big bucket for, uh, I would say, at least a four-hour discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think from a clinical trial perspective, of course, I, I think the, the COVID situation has brought some uh, acceleration in terms of, uh, you know, adapting the practices and clinical trials to get to get the new technology in so we can you know, continue to do clinical research and clinical trials. And, and for probably most of the, um, any research company, you know, it is a, it, it's still a challenge, you know, because probably um, some project has been on, on hold for different, because they need to adapt, they need to have new tools, um, and then they need to also embed all the design of the clinical trials that was initially designed differently. So there will be probably an adaptation. So I think it depends on um, probably specifically pipelines and what was going on in terms of clinical trials. But I think from a pharma company side, we innovative medicine have already uh, been embarked in that journey for a couple of years. Uh, so will that really delay impact, you know, new uh, medication coming into the market? Um, I think it might have an impact of a certain month of delay, but, you know, people are adapting very fast. And I think this is one of the aspects, surprisingly, and I'm talking from an ethic and, and compliance perspective, what we have seen is so interesting because for big pharma company, you know, it's like a bit of a government. It's huge global companies and there's many rules. There's many, you know, we are in a very heavy regulated environment, but not only externally, the environment is, we have these rules and regulation and laws, but internally also, you know, we're, and what we have seen is people asking themselves in certain situation where COVID had an impact, for example, you know, some patient could not get to the hospital to get treatment, you know, so we were facing situation where we really had to ask ourselves, have we created like so many barriers in the way we are working that, that are not necessarily adapted to where we want to be more agile and make sure that we're providing a value in the healthcare system. And the COVID was a good um, example for us to ask ourselves, you know, let's have governance, control, regulation, where is really, really key area. And we might want to be more flexible in other areas, specifically when we have these um, urgency situation. So Absolutely. it really brought different conversation. Uh, and it was uh, really interesting how our people were a bit, um, I would say, disturbed by this change that bring you to ask yourself, oh, we were doing like, I don't know, seven level of approval. Okay, do we really need this? Because there's a situation that needs really to take care of, uh, you know, the health of someone. So let's try to be more agile. You bring up, I mean, again, we could spend conferences and days and hours on these topics. I mean, they're endless, but you're bringing up some really pivotal discussion points. And again, the reason I love this stuff is this is what Impetus does in our platform is we have these conversations with people all over the, uh, over the world. 
but you, you, I think what's that like you were saying is COVID has been an accelerant. It's been a, a light, if you will, on some of the cracks and crevices of the system that we just accepted was the way it was. But as you've alluded to, for example, Health Canada and the, the duration or how long it takes to approve and review and look at data and, and basically give a stamp of approval was dramatically accelerated in Canada. So what considered used to be you can't run uh, four miles in a minute, um, you know, or, or you, you know, the four minute mile, right, is, is now possible. So we've now opened the floodgates of what's possible at Health Canada. So, the, you know, lots of other things surfaced, like refixing supply chains, starting entire vaccine manufacturing companies, um, you know, doing testing across the globe finding supply chains for bringing vaccines to everybody by the time September. What in your opinion do you think is going to transpire from what we have learned and gleaned from this in Canada as it relates to new products, specifically oncology and rare diseases, in terms of the time it takes from a company registering it or submitting it to Health Canada and when it's going to land in the hands and hearts of patients? And again, it's my own uh, perspective and my own opinion, but I think, you know, access is, everything has changed in access. You know, access was uh, a specific, uh, and I think you give a good, a good example. It's, it's a long, 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 long process in Canada in terms of evaluation. And so, and I, I think it's gonna bring a very different positionment from a, a drug perspective. So we are going, the science is developing so fast and it, we're going into these personalized medicine uh, that are really innovative and, and that will create you know, huge value for, for patient. Uh, it, it comes also with a certain cost, you know, from a, a, also from a healthcare system perspective. But I think it, it, it will bring again more focus on the value of the drug, but not the value in terms of costs, but the value in terms of outcome for patient, impact on um, the length of treatment, you know, for some classic drug that would take, you know, treatment for six months or chronic drug that people are stay on for years when you have really specific drug that can bring this, um, these treatment you know, they bring back your quality of life. They bring back your, you know, capacities, uh, being with your family. So you have all this value that was not maybe taken into consideration as much. The value of it, I think with the COVID, it has accelerated this mindset around the real value of innovative and new drug that we're bringing into the market. And I think it will be faster, faster to uh, evaluate because we see that, you know, we can um, move faster in terms of, of access. But also we've seen pharmaceutical company getting together, collaboration for, you know, producing the vaccine. We've seen, you know, people so also, I think that brings a different perspective in terms of uh, working in silos in the pharma industry. But maybe we can 
also moving faster if we have collaboration from other partners. It's, a, it's so many really great things I'd love to linger on. Many of those topics that you brought up. Um, I'm going to kind of start off a, a little bit when we talk about one of the things that's dramatically been impacted again is we're hearing a lot about how patient cancer patient diagnoses has been stunted. Again, all the lights were shining on the pandemic and the testing and the diagnosing and the treatment of everything COVID. So all these other serious issues, rare diseases, oncology and diabetes, you know, everything else has just kind of been put on the back burner. Uh, so one of the, the, the core issues is really around the acceleration of discovery and innovation. And then there's a whole other thing around data accumulation and access so that discovery can happen fa faster. And so we're seeing this confluence of adoption technology and acceleration. So you bring up something that's really interesting. In the traditional pharmaceutical model, there's been multiple different companies all existing in their own siloed way. They're global entities, but you know, company X is different from company Y. But now as we start to think about the data as being the new gold, and we're talking about these new data lakes where there's information to help with population health management and discovery and innovation. Do you foresee there being a future where we have the different versions of collaboration, different understandings of IP and intellectual property and discovery? What is that gonna look like in the future? Well, I think it, that's, that's gonna be uh, changing and also access to data. I mean, there's so many aspects related to data. So, you know, I was thinking for, for my function and for the legal function, for the data privacy function, uh, you know, not only in pharma, I would say in every business, you know, this is, um, data brings a lot of value because you're able to maybe um, go deeper in, in the future value that you will bring, you know, to make sure that uh, clinical trials until, you know, in the market. So I think it's really key and we will have to work a lot to understand how impactful data are and it's from a, a company perspective, but also from a patient perspective, because our first important objective is also to protect, you know, personal data, but we also need it. So it, it's a very challenging situation. So, and I think we, we it's, it's key for the next couple of years that we really have to uh, be able to have the capabilities to do the right analysis but also to make sure we are building um, a really strong data privacy protection because, and maybe you already know, but you know, many provinces in Canada are changing law regulation and the commissioner will have more and more power, uh, you know, and all the fines will be much higher. So you could see that this is coming and that that's going to create again challenge into the way we are working right now versus also all the new technology that we want to bring in that brings a value how patient can manage, you know, their own uh, treatment and um, partnering with the healthcare system 
which is really, in my perspective, behind the evolution of where they should be in 2020 in terms of patient management with new tools. So it's a lot of work that we will have to, to really to perform in that area. And where does your department fit or say around government relations, advocacy and medical associations in doing these partnerships with organizations and government? As I was mentioning, COVID-19 has been an accelerant of change and, and also inquiry. It's made us stop and think. I think what's happened a lot of times in Canada, a lot of for Canadian citizens, is they were under the veil that we had universal health care. And since the COVID-19 pandemic and the realization that Canada is not as big a hotshot as maybe we had proposed to be, and we're having a supply issue as a result. That, in addition to probably other sort of conspiracy theories that we're not you know, relegating the doses properly, we're not deemed as favorably by some of these companies for reimbursement reasons or access reasons and, you know, and on and on it goes. Some of the pharmaceutical companies and other stakeholders in the industry may actually leverage this opportunity to shine the light that this has been the issue all along. But unfortunately, the Canadian citizen, the average Canadian citizen was under the veil that everything was always available. Now that the average Canadian citizen realizes that that is not the case, how do you feel that, um, as I was mentioning, these various stakeholders can work in an integrous way with government to bring this up as a conversation point? You know, are we going to start looking at universal health care in a different way? Are we going to rethink what, what pharmacare, universal pharmacare is going to look like? What are some of the computations, considerations, now that we have this, we have the attention of the general population, and what are we going to do moving forward? Well, you know, it's... Your, vol your volume, sorry. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so it's going to bring a different conversation and a, a different level of conversation because I think it's a, it's a good timing to go back to these uh, transparent communication with government and the industry. And this is not only the pharma industry, you know, it's, it's beyond. It, it's also biotech. It's, uh, there, there's a lot of people involved now in, in the healthcare system, um, you know, in terms of uh, synergy. So, uh, you know, it's also medical equipment, medical, medical device company. Uh, and, and I think there's a, there will be opportunity. I wouldn't say that, you know, it will turn like 360 degree because I know we were more in a, from a governmental perspective, we were more in a cost restriction kind of mindset for the last 10 years. So the ears were not necessarily there from the government. And I think it was raised, you know, lately, but when it happens, these kind of situation, maybe we did not as, as a, let's say a Canadian government organization, did we really have a emergency plan for this type of situation where if we would have, I think we would probably at that time, we 
thought that it would not happen on the Canadian soil, that this kind of pandemic. But when it happened, we need to ask ourselves as Canadians, did we have this emergency plan to think that if this is happening, I will need all these companies to be on board and to provide that? How do you maintain you know, the, the evolution of your own uh, pharmaceutical, but also medical industry to make sure that they will be there to support. And I think that maybe for the last 10 years, that was not necessarily like that kind of mindset. And I think that will change. So it's very, it's very positive for Canadian people. You know, it's for all of us. It has to be balanced. Do you think that this is an opportunity for the pharmaceutical industry to turn their reputation around? Is there enough momentum? I, I mean, to be honest with you, when you hear the news, I've never heard so much layperson description of products, mechanisms of action, or companies <laughs> positioning and messaging that I've had yeah. from the news, newscasters and the general public. People are reciting what mRNA is and you know, everything in his brother, it's, it's pretty amazing. Is this the turning point for pharma that has really reputationally been a bit on the negative side with the average consumer? But I think beyond COVID, it has started much earlier, uh, since a couple of years where I think we are, um, and again, it's my own opinion, I think we're doing so many great projects and bringing values, you know, in, in, in the medical space. Um, and, and we were, because we created probably our own reputational issues for the past, you know, 30 years, you know, only bad things were mentioned and they, they happen. So I think we need to, uh, to, to be cautious of this. But I think there's also a lot of, uh, you know, great partnerships, uh, great project that we need to uh, have, you know, I would say to present to Canadian of positive things that ha is happening. But I think it's a, it's a transition, but you're right. Um, I think COVID has bring the fact that when, as a, as a Canadian citizen, when you don't have access cannot go to the hospitals, and then you have patient support program that can help you to continue to have your treatment and that pharmaceutical company are supporting the healthcare system. I think it's very positive. Fantastic, absolutely. So through this process, we've also learned a great deal about managing and maintaining and optimizing supply chain. As you were alluding earlier, Miriam, you were saying we were kind of caught with our pants below our knees, still are to a certain degree with the vaccines, actually vaccine supply. And it's illuminated a lot of learnings for this country, for pharmaceutical companies and all the other interested stakeholders. What have we, what are some of the ethical issues or considerations do we need to be thinking about moving forward on the balance between regionalization and globalization, partnerships with affiliates versus doing things locally. What is this going to mean for all of us in the future? That's a great uh, question. And I, 
wish I had the, <laughs> the answer, uh, you know, but I, I think it brings, uh, again, it will uh, break some silos because we probably were in a mindset where, you know, manufacturing has moved in other countries, uh, you know, for centralization and, and then it creates these limitations when it's time to get access and or when there is a um, uh, some medication are, are, are out of stock and missing. So again, I think from a Canadian perspective, it was this emergency plan moving forward will have these um, area where it's a, a non-negotiable that every Canadian should have access. And for achieving this, we need to make sure that we will have and we will support facilities within Canada, you know, to make sure that this will be happening in the future. Absolutely, and so it's going to start an entire different conversation about what is healthcare cost in this country and why it's important. So again, there's been a lot of light that's been shone on that. So um, one thing, of course, that has happened as a result of COVID is an, an accelerated adoption of technology, as we've mentioned earlier. We always knew that telehealth always existed. It has been for the last 10 years, but minimally used. Suddenly, COVID and the usage went up to 70, 75, actually at times 80%. In-person clinics stopped, and now we've seen an outcropping of physician sites and patient portals and telehealth and all kinds of different ways that people are conversing and sharing and diagnosing and treating. What sorts of ramifications and concerns does pharma have on this front? And how are they helping to manage and adopt the, the sort of physician-patient interaction? And where does pharma fit into that ethically and, and um, just functionally? So, I mean, ethically, we really have to make sure that, you know, we can partner. So, because now we, we really need to identify in the space of, for example, you know, telehealth, you know, what is going on? What are the plans to adopt these technologies so we can partner? we can support the healthcare system because if we do partner and if we help the healthcare system to get, to get these technology for uh, a broader patient access faster, you know, it will at some point really help the healthcare system uh, to be more agile and probably at a lower cost at the end of the day. And I think we need to be part of the solution because at the end, what we want is to make sure that patients get access to their physician. So, you know, at the end of the day, they will get the best treatment for them. And this is our goal. And, and but it brings a lot of, uh, you know, when, a, a, for example, when a pharma company has internal uh, rules, regulation, processes, when we are looking at these healthcare solution, health technology solution, you know, we have strict framework um, in terms of um, expectation, quality, uh, patient safety. So there's a lot of things that we need to make sure that if Novartis, for example, would support 
the solution, we will make sure that it, it really uh, respond to all our requirements uh, and even reach a level that is really excellent. So yes, it will bring, so I think for the next couple of years, probably my function will be involved in all these um, project implementation, working with the government, working with institution on how we can leverage this for the best of the patient at the end of the day, but also protecting. You need to protect the practice of the doctor and you need to protect the patient. Uh, so I, without you know, having us being too much involved or biased, you know, we will need to keep that balance. So it's, it will be a very interesting uh, function uh, to work in the, in the industry for the next couple of years. Absolutely. And like I said, this conversation will go on for hours and hours. I have a million things to ask you, but maybe I'll just kind of drill down. So as we're talking about the benefits of patients and what does this look like, we realize that now they're conversing with their physician on these portals and their scans are going through this and that and everything is really available uh, digitally. What is the concerns that one should have around um, access to data, the ethics around data ownership versus the sharing? And the reason this is really important is, as we've talked about before, there's a lot more utilization of wearables. We're even talking about things like ambient biometrics, where information without even you even knowing is being kind of sucked through the, the digital you know, vacuums and poured into these data lakes to be mined and to be processed. We've heard recently a lot about every other day there's some sort of cybersecurity um, emergency. The biggest one that just happened recently was the solar winds. And so there's this, there's concern around we're going digital, all of this data is being consumed, but who owns it, who's sharing it, and how is it being secured? So, and I think it's our, our our job, uh, in, in, and again, it's not only the pharma industry or medical, uh, you know, but we are working with patient integrity, you know, because when you talk about all these new devices, the sharing testing, probably also diagnostic uh, technology. So you enter in a world where you really are into entering into the patient integrity. Uh, and for me, it goes back to a very simple thing, you know, we need to make sure that the patient understands. So it's not pages and pages of, uh, you know, text and words and legal terms, because the patient needs to understand as soon as he reach out to this platform or, you know, new technology, what does it mean you know, where can it go and who's going to take care of the data and is it secure? Is it protected? Um, and I think this is the work that we have to do and be responsible for protecting the patient integrity. It's not only patient safety. For me, it's a, it's a, oh, it's really your integrity. So, um, and there's rules, you know, around uh, artificial intelligence. There's a lot of regulation that is going on, and I think it's going to be evolving. So we need to have experts 
you know, I'm not expert in data privacy, uh, but I'm going to reach out to the right person, make sure that you reach out to the right person, you know, with, from a legal perspective also. You know, we're, we're kind of going into a completely new world. It's almost like the next echelon of everybody's profession, lawyers, physicians, we're going to become very glorified data scientists. Because as you've mentioned, machine learning. So for example, a medical, like a software is a medical device. Where it is today is not necessarily the same device it's going to be in two years from now when it is machine learned and adopted using data and it becomes a different entity. So it's, it's really, really interesting to, to see in the evolution of regulations and, and you know, uh, adoption and approvals and all these other things, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And where this all fares from a real world evidence standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the physician into that evolution at such a fast pace, even from a physician perspective uh, or healthcare involved, they have to deal with this new product that are coming into the market that can facilitate their work. But then you need to not only think about, oh, that's going to be much faster. You need to think about making sure, again, I'm going back to that, that the patient is the person that takes the decision and knows exactly what does it mean for that person. You know, so again, it, it go back to the consent and make sure that it's right, it's understood. Uh, but also from a physician perspective, the physician needs to know that he is also participating in, in that data gathering from his own data. So yeah, it, it's, it's a fascinating topic. And the one thing that I've heard you say over and over with huge resonance is it's all about the patient. The patient centricity is coming from every angle of how you're speaking, which is as it should. And the interesting thing about this is really going to be the future angle as it relates to transparency. And we have oftentimes hidden between, behind things or scenes or, you know, arm's length relationships and what have you. But we've seen a lot of things happening recently in the news, you know, apart from the politics and what we've seen is now everybody has visibility and clarity and things that were oftentimes hidden are easily put out on you know, the banks for everybody to see. So the question comes down to is where is pharma going to sit in this from a transparency standpoint? How do we want to position ourselves in the relationship in the physician, you know, or the prescriber patient relationship? Um, where does where does that really important term transparency come in, and what is the the function or the aspiration of the pharma company in this new world of everything is visible? Well, and probably uh, everyone that may be attending this uh, this uh, chat will know that you know we have uh, in Canada Innovative Medicine Association. Um, but if we compare ourselves in Canada versus the United States with the Sunshine Act and the European country, you know, we're a bit behind in terms of transparency in the way we are engaging with our, our customer in general. 
except from a patient, for example, I know that you know many companies have uh, these transparency disclosure from a patient organization perspective. So when you are funding uh, some project for, uh, for patient organization, you know we are uh, systematically disclosing amount, project, and everything. So. And again, it's my own opinion because my, my wish is to really go for a full transparency disclosure uh, on how we are engaging with anyone in the healthcare system. Um, and I think it's important to move in that direction to really uh, continue to build trust also um, because there's many vulnerable um, activities that, you know, we can provide medical education, um, you know, there's a lot of great project. And I think by being very transparent, it opens uh, a window for a better understanding of the value that we can provide. Uh, and it, it, it also brings people to, it's like anything else in life. You know, when you have to be open, transparent, you ask yourself before doing anything if you're doing the right thing. And you might not have it right at the beginning in terms of everything 100% super right and ethical, you know, but you take all the steps to make sure that you will get there. Absolutely, so brilliantly said. I just wanna take it to a slightly different direction here and really just talking more about you as a leader in the organization at Novartis. COVID-19 has changed the way we do work. And lots of people have actually been launching products in the COVID-19 world. Uh, many people have been hiring new people that they've actually never met in person. Tell us a little bit about what it has been like being a leader during this pandemic. Well, and again, you know, I have a lot of um, experience behind. <laughs> so, you know, being uh, working since what, I don't know, 1988. <laughs> so as a leader, it's so positive what happened. You know, I think for me, um, it has brought people to be more focused uh, to care for each other because it has created a situation where, uh, you know, people have completely different challenge. And I'm going to give an example. You know, your employees that um, before were managing their family life, you know, they were all organized and sometimes they had, you know, family ch challenges, but that was not necessarily like our focus. You know, we were they were able to manage this and we were... Uh, you know, adapting uh, to the, the reality. But COVID has changed completely because, you know, everything was completely uh, to be redefined. So it has pushed company to really think about, oh, okay, so what are we going to do for our employees? So we really had, as leader, our one, so we had like two objectives is, take care of our, of our employee and make sure that they have everything they need during that transition, but going beyond, you know, because that's gonna stay. 
because as soon as you change your culture, because it has a huge impact on culture, then so the company was able to really go fast and be agile on adapt. And some of the things that were already asked from our employees, uh, you know, working from home and decide by your, you can decide where you want to work uh, within a certain area and uh, how much time you want to go to the office. What is key for you? Because do I have to be there? Maybe you have an important meeting that a face-to-face is really more uh, important, more relevant. So it, it has been unbelievable, I think, and it has been the, the human at the center. So it, it was really good. It's hard to keep, to keep it like alive, meaning that, you know, because you have many meetings, uh, you know, virtual, so you have to keep uh, time to reflect with your employees and talk and make sure that, uh, you know, you, you keep that touch, I would say, uh, on a regular basis. So it has more from a, a leader perspective, you know, it, it is, um, it's a, it's a additional work, but it's worth it. It brings a lot, a lot of very positive and I would say more commitment and engagement one with each other. Yeah, I love it. It's such a great way to end this conversation. When you talk about adding the humanness to the virtual, this is exactly what Impetus Digital has tried to do with a lot of our clients that we work with. A lot of people had to instantly virtualize their meetings and they came to Impetus you know, how do I have my ad board? How do I have our corporate meeting? How do I do our medical education? And really just kind of taking them by the hand and getting them to do these things seamlessly, but still to add all kinds of interesting things in the interaction so it still remained real. It still maintained authenticity. And there felt like there was still a, a communion of people and humanness and consciousness as opposed to a bunch of machines beeping at each other. So uh, very interesting. But anyways, thanks to everybody for your time uh, attending our session today. Anybody who's interested in speaking to Miriam, who really is, quite frankly, a wealth of information, she's seen it all from the business side, from the legal side, the ethics side, has a very interesting perspective. We will be leaving in our show notes uh, links to access her if you want to talk or to partner. We will do that. We also encourage you to check out impetusdigital.com if you're interested in these kinds of courageous conversations having a series of touch points to discuss the beyond the pill, getting into some of these controversial issues, developing consensus documents. This is what we do with White Glove Service at Impetus. So we encourage you to check that out. Um, thank you for everybody for your time. Please like and subscribe so that you and others can find our content. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Miriam, for a thank wonderful you. conversation. And we wish everybody a wonderful day ahead. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business advisory board experts and provide virtual collaboration solutions for meetings, events, and projects worldwide. Visit us at impetusdigital.com to find out more and subscribe to our LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube to stay up to date about other upcoming inspiring conversations.